Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. And on this week's episode, we have a fresh, ready, it's hot and ready, actually, episode of the Huntcast. And I'm joined here by my Huntcast co-host, Tristan Baca. Tristan, my guy, welcome back to the Huntcast for 2023. What is going on? Oh, I'm sitting over here doing some early spring gardening, drinking beer, and tying paracord. <laughs> I'm doing Hell a whole yeah, bunch dude. of stuff after work today. Yeah. The weather in Michigan is beautiful, and that has led... I mean, it's... This is your first... Is this your first spring in Michigan? No, second. 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 So last year and this year, you probably started to see... It's like a religious event when the weather in Michigan starts to turn and people come out of their houses and they're like walking around with shorts and t-shirts on. It's 50 degrees and it's like tropical Florida weather. <laughs> yep. Yep. I remember wishing I had shorts when we were walking the other day, but we'll get into that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if you guys are new to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, welcome to the show. I am a host of the show, Corey Mueller. This is a branch of the Weekly Warrior Podcast called The Hunt Cast. And if you haven't listened to the podcast before, there's a lot of content from the fall of Tristan and I's first season bow hunting and a little bit of rifle hunting as well in there. And if you're interested in that type of thing, it's a great take on the learning experiences that we went through. And we're just carrying on with it. We're just continuing the journey here in 2023. And so speaking of how nice it was, Tristan and I got out yesterday. So we're recording this episode on April 10th, Monday. Uh, I don't know when this is going to air, but we were able to get out uh, a little further north from where I live in Cadillac, Michigan, and spend about a full day out in the woods. It was a beautiful day, about 65 degrees and sunny. You can't ask for much better. So we went out and decided to get some scouting in because part of the reason is I got a new job and I will be moving up north uh, eventually. I'm on parental leave. This is our first podcast episode that I'm recording since my son was born and we are alive and doing well. But yeah, so we are probably going to move up north. So we wanted to get a little bit of a different look at some different terrain. And also, Tristan, I'll get your input on this in a second, but the area we were in is sort of the stomping grounds of a very well-known guy that we've done a history podcast on before. His name is Fred Bear. And if any of you guys don't know Fred Bear, he made wonderful archery equipment in Grayling, Michigan for about 40 years. Um, And the Bear Archery Company is still in business in uh, Gainesville, Florida. But yeah, this was his stomping grounds. He settled up here. He loved fishing the Osable River, and he opened his factory. And... uh, So it's a different experience hunting a little bit further north where there's a lot of tradition and a lot of history and it feels, it feels, it feels different out there when you, when you get out into the woods, um, a little further up there. What did you, uh, did you feel any of that? Was that kind of a thing for you as well? It, 
I won't directly compare it to being in the mountains, but just the expanse of land where we were at. I actually felt like we were hunting more so than I think I did last year, mm-hmm. you know, going to and from the house and cruising on pretty well-maintained roads and stuff, <clears throat> you know, for the most part. Um, yeah. You know, we, we walked in fairly deep last year, but we're just out deep, period this year yeah this part of michigan so it's around the grayling area roughly and there's i mean thousands of acres of public land in that in that region and you can really find yourself lost there you're not so far away that it's isolated so if you do get truly lost you're in trouble but it is far enough out that you can get away from it all and you can find some really awesome stuff and so that's what we decided to do. Um, we picked a really rough itinerary of where we were going to go and just kind of let uh, let the woods guide us and uh, let our intuitions go. And last year, we, we did some podcast episodes on our early adventures last year, uh, especially with scouting and, and all that. And we were both pretty new to this. We had both hunted before. Tristan had hunted elk out in uh, Colorado and New Mexico. And I had hunted whitetails here in Michigan and also elk a little bit in Colorado. But for the most part, we were pretty green. And to be fair, we still are pretty green. But in last fall, we put, I don't know, I probably had a solid 14 to 21 days in the woods during hunting season. And Tristan was probably right around there as well. So we got a lot of hands-on experience. And it might have even been more. I mean, between the two of us, we put in a solid month, um, like just pure days spent. With that um, little bit of time that I did summertime, I probably hunted a good 22 days, give or take. I counted once, but I I don't remember. Yep. And it's not a competition, but I hunted more than that. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Mostly because I rifle hunted and you chose not to, but that's, and that's mm-hmm. okay. Um, but, but yeah, so we spent a lot of time out there and uh, we had some great experiences with stalking and we didn't really know what we were doing, but we just kind of figuring it out as we went, had some close calls, had a couple shots on deer that we weren't able to uh, get it done, but a lot of learning experiences. And, and in this past off season, we've spent some time reading and talking about everything that we've learned. And I felt like as soon as we got out there, the vibes were, obviously we were excited, but the vibes were way more calm mm-hmm. and focused, um, but also like relaxed. It was, it was a different, um, a different feeling. Talk about that a little bit, Tristan. How did you feel as we sort of started to get in there? You know, after kind of I was driving home after the fact, I I think it just kind of goes to show we got more confident at what we were looking at, looking for, where we wanted to go, what didn't, what wasn't going to work for us, um, and stuff like that. That's, I think, the biggest difference was the confidence that made it a little bit more calm. Because I know, for me, yeah, I missed two shots last year, so... I, I, I want to be pretty serious about it, but it was nice to know what we were looking at. That that made me a lot more mm-hmm. calm and a lot more relaxed. And, I mean, the country also. 
helps. Yeah. We did a lot of scouting last year. We put quite a few hours in and we probably put like 25 to 30 miles um, of boot time in. And it, I felt like we didn't capitalize on a lot of that time that we spent out there. And I think that was a big learning experience because, and we're going to get, we're going to break down kind of each spot that we checked out. But that was the thing that I first noticed is when we went into it, it's like, we know what to look for to continue to scout an area. And we know what to look for Mm -hmm. to pull out and not waste our time. Um, And that alone made it a much better experience. It was a great day, regardless of anything else. It was a perfect northern Michigan day, and you couldn't ask for more to go walk out in the woods. But we also went into it with a lot more knowledge. So let's talk about the first stop. The first stop that we made as we traversed through this massive uh, section of state land. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of turn it over to you and let you recap uh, from when we parked the truck. So, oh, where were we at on that first point? Let me look at my map here for a second. <laughs> I don't remember. That was the the, uh, the, the big second. buck and and dead man's branch. Oh, okay. So, I remember when we parked this truck. Um, we got out of the truck and we were planning to walk up to this ridge top to kind of see an expanse of some land because where we were at didn't have a lot of clear cut, uh, didn't have a lot of undergrowth. Um, and I know that's why I decided to pull over there. Um, and when we started walking up the hill, um, where we were at to go to this ridge top, I don't remember where we, I don't remember how close were we to Grayling, Corey? Cause we went pretty far, far north about what? 20 miles or so. Yeah. So we were walking in and the first thing that we noticed, there was still some snow there's still some snow on the roads. Yeah. Yep. And when we walked in, there's still snow on the roads and we were looking for crossings mainly like right there on that two track. And we finally spotted that giant track. And when we went down and looked at it, it was, it was huge. And it was also very clear that it had dew claws. So when you see a, uh, I don't know if this is true for all deer. I would assume that it is. But when you see a whitetail track, You'll see the two hooves, and then if it's a buck, it'll have two dew claws that will be right behind the normal hoof marks. Um, and normally, bucks, especially when they're big, the hoof marks are pretty spread out. This was spread pretty far out, and there was dew claw marks. So that was like, hey, and that's that a big claws, buck. <laughs> the dew claws were pronounced. They were very prominent. The dew claws were pronounced. Um, and it was a relatively hard surface that this deer was walking on too. that 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 snow wasn't very deep where it had stepped into mm-hmm. and it was relatively solid underneath still with where it was at yeah um so it was, a, it was a big animal um and as we continued um up this hill <laughs> i remember um we're walking Corey and i are talking picking out some more sign um talking about a lot of poop <laughs> um <laughs> poop and prints baby poop and prints <laughs> poop and prints um, you didn't find the really exciting thing this first stop, did you? Yeah, I the are you talking about the scrape or the rub? The rub. I did. I did point the rub out. Okay, I know you pointed this rub out up up the road a little bit, but the other really really exciting thing that we may get into later was it right after that? 
Are you talking? No, the the really exciting thing happened later in the day, and we are going to Okay, get that's that. right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, so we come up, and we see a rub on a probably a yearling tree, two-year-old tree. It was a little popple. Um, yeah, a little popple tree. Um, that was probably from last fall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we both agreed. Yeah. Um, and in between, lots of fresh scat from, from does, um, some larger does. Um, possibly that buck because we did see some larger and dense and stuff kind of going up towards that rub. Yep. Um, as we moved. Um, so that was really exciting. I think for us on our first, a, our first stop out five minutes in. Yeah. Yeah. Five minutes in finding a substantial buck track. Yep. Um, we talked about this when we were out there up to this point, we've seen some bucks like, um, I had seen what we called the Polaroid buck last fall. That was like an eight or a 10 point from like 200 yards away. I didn't get a chance to see him any closer, but that track that we saw was the most easily identifiable and prominent buck sign that we had seen at at, that, at this point. Um, and that was really cool. And we followed that in. Man, the, the best part about this whole first section for me was the fact that we made our way in. We probably walked in a couple hundred yards and we both kind of looked at each other and like, I don't know that we can actually hunt, like hunt this area. So the this buck is moving smart. He's moving through pricker bushes. He's moving through really dense undergrowth. And there's very few weak spots that that he's going to expose himself to. And we both were like, we could maybe try to hunt this, but last year it was like, oh, there's deer sign. We got to hunt this no matter what. But it's like, we can't get back into this area that there's a buck or a deer in general without spooking all of them anyway. So maybe, maybe we either, we come back and see if there's a different way in or if there's a spot that we could set up, but we're not going to be able to go in there and stalk and do what we want to do. It's just not going to happen. And that was really, I think that was the first light bulb moment for us was like, accept it and back out and like, keep the mark and maybe check it out if we have time later on. But maybe it's a good thing to follow up on and maybe it's not. But it was still cool to see that the the rub and the big footprint that we noticed right away. We followed trails absolutely that were easily identifiable to us, whereas before they might have not been. Um, and then we also recognize like, Hey, let's pull out. This might not be a good use of our time right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I agree with you. I do think that's a fall. Fo- it's a follow up spot for sure. Just to see what, you know, it looks like once everything grows in a little bit more and something like that. Yeah. I think we should spend some more time trying to figure out if we can find him, you know? Yeah. I mean, when you get buck signed that big, um, we, we, you almost have to follow up. And something that I, it would be, we wouldn't be hunters if we didn't, let's right. be honest. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause I know that your blood was pumping as much as mine was when we, oh, <laughs> when yeah. we started seeing buck sign like that. Oh yeah. Especially um, how big that foot something was. We're going to talk about this, uh, the thing that I'm about to talk about in another episode in a little more detail, but something that we both decided this year and I had already been doing it last year but Tristan is on the same page and on board with we're going to basically ground hunt this fall um we're going to utilize playing the wind and stalking and still hunting and stalking and still hunting are two different things and again we're going to get into it at a date later date 
but there's not going to be a lot of tree stand hunting. There's not going to be saddle hunting. It's going to be mobile moving and then construction of natural blind positions. Um, and that makes it way more difficult, but also way more difficult in a good way. That's what we want. We want to be connected to nature. That's why we do this. It, I, I rifle hunt to harvest animals. I bow hunt to get close to nature and to, and to be a predator. And that's, and that's what this is all about. So when we're entering into these discussions about like this area might not be huntable for us, we have to look at it from that perspective because we're walking, we're not sitting in a tree we're not sitting in a saddle. We're walking around and we're trying to find good spots to be predators and uh, not get spotted. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's going to change up how we hunt the ruts and uh, probably early season and late season, too. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of learning to that um, yeah. and patterns and everything else. I think we're going to have to learn. Once your like, brain accepts the fact that you're not going to be stationary during a hunt very much, we I, I will say... I still plan on packing a chair in with me. Like last year, I always had a chair strapped to my backpack because if I find a good spot, if you find a good spot that we are we can set up in, you should, that you absolutely should. But that's where like building the ground blinds out of natural materials and Tristan's doing all the paracord right now, which is going to come in handy for that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm cutting and tying and burning ends as we do this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yep. So... Yeah, so the first spot was cool. We found some some cool stuff, but ultimately we probably spent 45 minutes there and ended up pulling out to to move on. And the second spot. So I'll I'll go ahead and start us off on the second spot. It was it was an area that I looked in from the road just at a glance and said, "Oh, I like how many pine trees are over there." And it was like, "All right, well, let's stop." Tristan basically stopped the truck and we got out and I remember as we were walking in, we both were like I think this is a bust because it was so open and there it was so open and it's like this is like rifle hunting territory and we both kind of identified that pretty early on but we kept walking like all right we're out we might as well let's spend 10 minutes and just walk in and and see what's there so as we walk through these big pine trees we come to a clearing where there was a clear cut probably in the last five years Um, Clear cuts are really interesting because if they were done in the last five to 10 years where the growth has started to come back, it's really good browse areas uh, in the summer and the fall for uh, for deer and other animals, obviously, too. But um, all the sapling trees and the popple trees that are growing up provide great food sources for these animals. And so when we came through this pine clearing to this clear cut, it started to go up a, a hill to the south. So we started moving up this hill and immediately it was an old logging road. And so we're walking up the logging road and immediately there's sign everywhere. There's prints, there's poop. And normally, like if you see a pile of poop, like it's not a big deal. But if you start to see it consistently, so you walk and you find one and then 10 yards from there, you find another one. And then 10 yards from there, you find another one. That's where it becomes like, OK, let's pay attention to this. And so that's what we did. And we made our way all the way to the top. Of the, I'm going to call it a plateau. It's a Michigan plateau. It wasn't a big hill. Um, but we did have a good vantage point over quite a bit of the surrounding territory. And we felt like we had a pretty good idea of movement patterns when we were up there. And with all of the, uh, the down brush and some of the windfall that was up there, 
it literally screams perfection for um, making these ground blinds that we're talking about. And in a lot of the research and the reading that we've done, it was all it was about building these ground blinds out of natural materials. And so that's exactly what we saw. And that, again, that's that learning moment where it's like that is now possible where maybe before it wasn't. Um, so, yeah, that was we that was the scene. We set the scene. Now, Tristan, when you got up there, what were you thinking? What were some of your thoughts? So I was uh, originally with that clearing, I was a little concerned that we wouldn't find too, too much. Um, and then I also kind of was concerned. We, we hunted an area last year. Um, I don't know if any of the listeners recall this, but we hunted an area last year that just had an overabundance of food. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also kind of thinking that it was going to be kind of one or the other. There was going to be an overabundance of food and we weren't going to really be able to establish a pattern. Um, or, um, there really wasn't going to be anything in there. Um, and to my surprise, pleasant surprise, um, we actually picked out um, some really good patterns and saw quite a bit of sign kind of mm-hmm. kind of throughout. Yeah. And we so when we go out, we find fun names for all the areas to help <laughs> us remember. And yep. this this hill that we were on ended up becoming known as Poop Hill uh, because there was just so much poop. and. We started picking it up and feeling it and trying to figure out how old it was. There was some old stuff, some new stuff, but this it's a really promising area because there's clearly a lot of travel through there. And when deer travel, we notice, I mean, on the, so these old logging roads, that's where heavy equipment was run in and out for weeks and they leave giant tracks in the ground and deer are just like humans. They want the path of least resistance through the woods. If they can avoid going through pricker bushes and you know, whatever they're going to. And so following this logging road, they were doing exactly what we were doing. So recognizing that unless they're bucks, then they stick to cover, especially old bucks They're that cause they know. Um, so yeah, that was great. That was a big highlight of the trip and just being able to identify some of this stuff and also figuring out like food sources as well. Cause we're looking at like, Hey, that's probably a bedding area. Let's not waste our, because last year our big thing was like, let's get into the shit. Let's get into the thickest shit we can find and, you know, we're going to get nasty. And this year it's a little more calculated, like that's probably a bedding area because the bedding areas are typically really thick. Maybe let's not go in there. <laughs> let's like, <laughs> yeah, maybe let's leave it alone. <laughs> let's leave it alone. And um, and we and that was cool to be able to look at something and be like, yeah, that's probably a bedding area. Let's not go in there. Yep. I have a quick question for you, Corey, with mm-hmm. that. Um, with the area that we were in, do you think, because you, you you work with the DNR and stuff like that, do you think that we're going to disturb anything going into those bedding areas? I was thinking about this, and I wanted your opinion on it. Um, this time of the year, I think that disturbing bedding areas is not as harmful. However, it's always harmful to disturb bedding areas it might like there might be aggravating and mitigating circumstances depending on the time of year but it's never a good idea to go into a bedding area and disturb it because then they're going to go somewhere else so like if we can identify hey they're bedding in there 
just don't go. It's a no-go zone. So like a lot of property owners, at least good ones, they have what they call no-go zones because these are safe. You don't disturb them because these the deer need habitat where they feel safe because these thick, typically low areas, predators don't go in there. And if we go in there, all you're going to do is spook them and boot them out. So yeah, I think, like I said, mitigating and aggravating circumstances, but for the most part, I would say we just avoid it all the time if we can. Obviously, if you shoot a deer, though, and it goes into a bedding area. to I mean, I'm not going to not go get it. If Right. If you need to recover <laughs> it, like, obviously, you're going to go in and get it. But um, just to get, like, go into a bedding area for no reason or, like, to just walk through one isn't isn't the way. And I think last year we did that a lot and i think we did that a lot without even really realizing it you know what i'm saying yep absolutely and i think that was just a a a big it just goes to show your point well we we both i remember we had this conversation all the time last year like we want to go where other people won't and those places are are places where most people don't want to go because it's hard and it's not fun to walk around and it's just not enjoyable and but when when you look at it there's a reason there's a reason for that um and so we started to realize as the more we hunted like yeah we're not going to go in there because the deer feel safe there and there's a reason why it's so difficult so this year um our attitude has been more like okay we need to push further in but we need to be smart about it because i do want to hike in further than the the average hunter is going to go but I don't want to be like walking through bedding areas and getting into the thickest stuff possible because you can't hunt in that stuff anyway. Um, and that's that's a huge shift from our mentality from last year. Well, and I I think that our still hunting and ground hunting that we're going to do, we're just going to learn so much more faster mm-hmm. about patterns and how things work. I, I know we were briefly kind of talking about that a little bit before we started yeah. recording, but yep. you know, I think that's going to be really good. So yeah, Overall. spot two, spot two poop Hill was a big success. Um, the only bad thing about poop Hill that we identified was it is very roaded up. And when I say roaded up, it there's very easy access from roads. The only thing that is a saving grace for that location, in my opinion, is the fact that on all sides, the elevation change is enough to dissuade most people from climbing up it. Um, it doesn't dissuade us because we're not pansies. But for most people, I think when they look at that, they're like, eh, not worth it. Um, but that's that's an area we will need to go back to. And I want to go a little bit deeper into the woods and just check it out because we we scratched a hair of the surface of the, the public land in this region. There's so much of it. You could spend two you know, decades out there and not even, not even touch it. Um, so yeah, that was spot two. Now spot three, um, Tristan, I'm gonna let you start off on spot three because, um, you wanted to go down this road. I didn't know it was that eight point road, the real Sandy one. And we got out and we started heading up the hill and I'm going to have you start off and then I'm going to take over for you. Yes. So, after we left um, Poop Hill, we were kind of cruising back um, uh, towards um, where we need to get out and go home, kind of how we planned it. And um, 
I kind of look over to the left in the truck, kind of see this road. Um, I don't know what made me choose to go over there. I'm pretty sure at the intersection to go that way, I played any Meeny Miney Mo. That's what you told me. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, go down there, find another little background, pull off and pull over. Um, and, you know, I go look down at the beautiful Manistee River that's in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we turn around and start walking up uh, this ridge side. Um, and, you know, we're finding some tracks and we're walking and we're talking and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Yeah. So at this point, we were walking up the hill and we had found some human sign. We found somebody's crossbow bolt that the only thing that I can assume is that they, they, maybe they were sighting it in or they maybe missed a shot and it ricocheted uh, based on the angle that it was in the hill. But um, we started walking up and I was somewhat layered up and i decided at this point i told tristan i said hey there's a tree at the top of the hill there big uh maple tree let's stop and i'm gonna take a layer off and he's like all right cool so we're heading up the hill and as i'm walking up the hill i see three spikes sticking out of the ground and they're bleached white and at this point i'm like okay in my brain i said that's either a weird set of mushrooms Or that's an antler on the ground. And the closer I got, I was like, that's a fucking, that's an antler sitting there on the ground, sticking up through the leaves. And I just, I got like kindergartner excited. And I was like, Tristan, some like, look what's up there or whatever. And I ran, I ran like 25 yards to this. It was a shed, a beautiful shed sitting there. Four point. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better looking Northern Michigan buck shed. And, uh, that was pretty fucking exciting. I had never found a shed before in my whole life, and it was super cool. It was, uh, I mean, just laying there right where we planned to go. I mean, I don't know if we planned to go there, but <laughs> um, I mean, we'll say we planned to go there. I'll, I'll, it was right I'll, I'll by the tree we talked about it going was right to. right <laughs> by the tree. We did talk about going to the tree. I guess that's planned enough. Um, but when I tell you I've never seen a grown man get that excited. <laughs> um, it's been a while since I've seen a grown man that excited. Running through the woods like a little child. Running through, <laughs> running through the woods like he was back in grade school. It, yeah. was, it was pretty awesome, folks. There's yeah. nothing like the magic of a buck. Yeah. yeah, and, and the shed is, I mean, like I said, it's super cool. A lot of character to it. I'd never found a shed before. Shed hunting out west is really big with uh, elk. And Michigan, it's not as popular, but people do it. Um, and it was just laying there, and that was that was pretty awesome. Unfortunately, we didn't find the other side of it. Uh, we were hoping to find the other side, but he must have been walking around with one set for a little while. So, yeah, once we got to the top of this hill, um, this was a cool spot. A lot of hardwoods, no dense undergrowth, uh, nice, fairly hilly terrain, but also you could kind of walk ridges and not go down into these ravines. Um, and we were just kind of casually looking around with the binoculars and we both spotted, there was like a, a setup position that somebody had made. It looked like a rifle hunting position with a moving blanket and some other garbage. And first of all, people I've talked about this on other episodes. If you're out in the woods, pack your fucking trash out. Don't be pigs. Um, but there was a bunch of trash and stuff and whatever. We cleaned some of it up. Um, but we stood up there and kind of talked for a little bit because we were just looking at the terrain and then, um, I'm going to turn it back over to you, Tristan from there. Um, 
One thing that I say I really liked about the terrain is the no undergrowth, but the ability to still hunt and also some of the places that we glassed over and walked over as we were walking through also presented some opportunities for um, some potential ground blinds and some spots to set up a little bit and stuff like that. Um, I think that area gives us a lot of options. Um, I think that we might run into some challenges when it starts to get a little bit colder and a lot of those big leaves drop just because there's not a lot of undergrowth mm -hmm. to... Um, and I think we that might be where we have trouble being quiet there, especially with us ground hunting. But we'll see. Without there being under, we're gonna have to practice I, our woods walking. <laughs> I think I think sound is just gonna move better through there. Yeah. Um, the coolest part about this spot was we were able to pretty quickly identify a movement pattern. And again, we looked at where we had seen sign and where it looked like the movement was happening. And then you start to look at terrain features and you, and you look at, okay, so there's movement happening here. There's a food source. We're in the middle of a food source. There's acorn producing oaks all over the place. So you look across it. I wouldn't call it a two track. It was, I mean, I guess maybe you'd call it a dirt track or a little Sandy two track. You look across the Sandy two track and it was, it, you could just tell how thick and dense it was. And I looked at Tristan and I said, they're bedding down over there and they're coming out and feeding here. Um, and so from there, and Tristan agreed, it was, I mean, again, that's part of the learning it process. It just made sense. It just, it just made sense. Right. And like so we, at this know, point. We took a look around and yeah, it made sense. We start, we headed back to the truck, uh, pulled our boots off for a minute because we were both in uh, heavy boots. We expected it to be a little colder and it wasn't. So we took our boots off and cooled our feet off for a minute ate a little bit of food and then went back in. Um, we probably traversed like 150 yards into some of this thicker stuff, but we tried to stick to the open areas. Um, and then as we got in there further, you could really start to tell where it got really thick. And then it's like, okay, we're going to just take a different route out so we can see a little bit more, but let's not go in there. And I think that was the smart move. Um, it was just cool to be able to identify that and make what I, I think, I mean, a right choice based on we want to see more ground. But again, we're seeing ground more responsibly this time around, which I think is pretty sweet. Mm -hmm. And I think how we've talked about, you know, we put a lot of seat time in the truck this time around mm -hmm. um, and saw a bigger general area. Um, I think this next time we'll get a lot more calculated. Yeah. And we still, when, and when Tristan says we got seat time in, we still put almost six miles of boot time in as well. Absolutely. Um, we walked a lot, but, um, we can do more cause there's, there's just so much ground to cover out there. Um, so yeah, that second spot was sweet. We found a shed, uh, to be honest, we found a little bit more human sign than, uh, I would have liked, but when you look at that area on a map that extends in a huge swath uh northwest or northeast in a way that i mean it's hard to fathom when you're actually in there but it just keeps going for probably like 25 miles until you get to grayling um so we'll definitely go back out there that's a spot where 
you hike in a little further. So you get like a mile or two miles off the road because most people aren't going to hike that far in, even when there's not a lot of dense, thick undergrowth. Um, just people just aren't going to, they're just not going to do that most of the time in this neck of the woods. Um, and I shouldn't say everybody, cause I know that's a general statement, but just generally that's not the case here. Um, so yeah, we'll go back to that spot and check it out. But yeah, the finding the shed was super cool and, uh, and getting, just getting to see that and experience it was, was pretty sweet. And you said something when we were out there that I want to touch on real quick. Like, uh, we were standing there debating where we wanted to go next. And you said, I feel so much more comfortable with like not looking at my phone, looking at Onyx, trying to figure out where we are and how to traverse from here and talk about that a little bit, because I think that's really valuable. So last year we had used Onyx a lot, just to navigate around. And I think that took away from us looking at the terrain and things a lot more. Um, and I mean, I, at the, at the end of the day, it just shows that we're better woodsmen now. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're better at our, at our general direction, you know, where we at, where we're moving, how we're moving. Um, and I mean, that's nothing but good. I mean, I think that's, that, that we'll, we'll build upon that for a year after a year after Absolutely. year. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and I really liked that we didn't use Onyx as much this trip because, we actually looked at what we were walking through more than everything else. Um, I think we learned a lot about the patterns of how deer are moving in the terrain that we were at more so than just marking points on a map. I think last year at a pattern afterwards, we were picking points. Like there's a point on Onyx right there, right? Let's go there and just go straight there and not really like, that was a lot of like, we're going to trudge through whatever bullshit necessary. We're going to do whatever it takes and we're going to go out there to that spot no matter what. And this year it was like, let's drive this road and stop when it felt right and walk in. And just, and then, you know, we were marking points and whatever on Onyx still. Onyx is a really valuable tool, but we relied just more on our experience and just general level of understanding of what we're looking at instead of looking at onyx like hey that's a good spot we should check that out <laughs> well and this year with that i mean the spots that we marked obviously had sign in it we picked yes. out a pattern and this early in the game i mean there may not be deer there this fall yeah but we the patterns will about, change yep what i mean the patterns will change but it might give us an idea of how the pattern's going to change where they go, how they move. It, it's just building, it's just adding to our toolbox. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, so that was, like, having that experience going into it was, in, yeah, like you said, invaluable. So spot three, we um, headed further south. We were basically, we went 45 minutes north, and then we drove back roads two tracks south. So we got to our third spot where we were driving through, and this was very reminiscent of like a um, lower elevation mountain atmosphere. Um, a lot of a lot of pines, a lot of scrub grass. There's going to be a lot of ferns there come summer and fall, and we both felt very comfortable there. The smells there were pretty great. Uh, the like core memories were unlocked, and. Um, yeah, talk, I talk about that a little bit, just walking around, because we both had a, a similar 
outcome, uh, thought outcome from just walking around very briefly about how we were going to approach this area if it was something we were interested in? Um, well, number one, all the pine in the area brought me right back home to Colorado. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, it was in northern New Mexico. I mean, I, I grew up in a northern New Mexico town that just it smelled like that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that area with all the ferns and all the stuff like that, because we, we found a lot of sign that was kind of old. We found some sign that was relatively new, but I feel like we found more old than new. Yeah. Um, and at least for me, my take on that area is I think that we need to go back in two, three weeks and see what vegetation looks like because I think that that might be um, like a fall food source maybe with some of the stuff that grows up there. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking yeah. anyway. Yep. I I think the fact that we didn't see a lot of recent sign, that was probably like winter, January, February, um, and maybe even before that. And so, yeah, like fall food sources but we both kind of agreed that this was going to be an area where we were going to come like get out of the truck and move a lot we weren't going to probably find ourselves sitting down too much we were going to try to cover some ground and just still hunt um move slow and quiet through the woods and yep still and quiet and just you know see see what we can find um because it the what we saw was good enough to follow up on it, but not good enough to like, we're going to set up like ground blinds here and, you know, make a real go of it. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a lot of ground blind material around. I don't think that we could have used very much in that area. Not much. No. Um, and that there's not a lot of cover for, deer nor us to move around yet yeah all of these areas are going to change pretty drastically because this is early spring and within in the next month um things are really going to start to spring up and change quite a bit um here in michigan which is great so looking forward to that uh seeing some of the but it's nice to see that terrain a little more bare and um get a really good idea for what the land itself looks like. And then when we go back as that's where like putting the boot time in is it makes the difference. It's the make or break difference. The nice thing about public land is you could drop in anywhere and use your woodsmanship and give it a good shot. But when you really get familiar with some, with some land, even if it's public land, you, you just, it's like the back of your hand. You just know it really well. And I think that's something that we're, starting to understand this year compared to last year. Like we hunted the farm a lot last year and I got to know the farm, like every nook and cranny of that place. I started to figure it out and it was really awesome to be able to do that. And I want to do that more um, because it's, it's a very intimate relationship with the earth. And I think that's pretty awesome. I think my favorite part of this whole trip in general was getting back to being a lot more intimate with nature, especially after the winter and everything else. Yeah. Um, yeah, it felt really good. Mm-hmm. It yep. felt really good. Absolutely. So yeah, that was kind of the last spot that we got out and walked around. Uh, we had an interesting trek home. Uh, the roads were, uh, not great and it was 
an adventure in and of itself. Not too crazy, but I had to get out and check a lot of puddles to make sure they weren't deep enough to swamp the truck. But we made it back to uh, made it back home and um, started to process and digest. I think I talked a lot about my takeaways, and I'm just going to sort of summarize my takeaways from this, and then I'm going to have you do the same, Tristan. But my biggest takeaway is um, our experience showed. And it, it, for me, it motivated me more to continue building because of how much of an improvement that I noticed from last year to this year, just with level of comfortability being out in the woods. And part of the comfortability is being with someone else who is capable. That makes a big difference. Um, another takeaway for me is like we're ha- we have our gear much more lined up and ready to go. Um, last fall, we were accumulating things as the season went on. And by the end of the year, we sort of, sort of had a good setup, but this year we're going into it with like a very good setup. Like, uh, you know, Tristan's getting his kit finished out, but I've got pretty much every piece of the origin kit that I need to be successful. And like, we're going to have the right arrows. We're going to have the right bows. Like we're in a much better position overall. And that feels really good. Um, so that was those outside of everything I've already talked about. Those were some of my big takeaways. What were some of yours? Um, what I noticed is you and I this year were very in sync about our goals, where we wanted to go, how we wanted to be. I think our relationship as hunting partners is growing there. Um, I'm going to interject real quick and just say. Part of that is we've come in line with like the style of hunting because last year you were looking at tree stand locations and I wasn't like, yeah, I can see like, yeah, that's, that's a good tree stand location. But this year it's like, we're going to hunt, we're going to ground hunt. And we both are on the same page because last year I was in the ground hunt mindset and still also in like a rifle hunting mindset too. This year I, that didn't, I could identify like, yeah, it's a good rifle hunting spot. That's a shit bow hunting spot. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, and go I ahead. Think that's, and I think that's a big takeaway that I noticed for you is um, is being able to differentiate between a rifleman spot and uh, an archer spot. Because mm-hmm. I think that was a challenge for you. It was for me at some points, too, mm-hmm. um, with some stuff. I, I know I was trying to set myself up for some shots out of a tree that were a little unfathomable <laughs> at times with mm-hmm. my bow. Um, and I had to catch myself from time to time. For sure. Um, and then along the same lines as you, I think our experience is a lot more now, a, a, a lot more. We have a lot more expansive knowledge, um, you know, what's fresh sign, what's not fresh sign, um, what's a really big buck, what's a doe, what's a little doe, oh, you know, what's smaller deer. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas last year we were just like, oh, there's deer sign here. Let's mark this spot. We're going to hunt here. Um, this year we're kind of like, oh, there's little deer here. You know, that's a little one, you know, that's some does. Oh, that's buck. Um, and I think we're doing a lot more unspoken gauging of whether or not we want to be here or not. That's Mm -hmm. kind of what I noticed Yeah, is my biggest takeaway. Yeah. And I think, uh, just like the general idea of this is a lifestyle, this it's a hobby very much so but it's a lifestyle because when you hunt, when you want to hunt this way, it requires time and money investment and surrounding yourself with a support system that, that supports that lifestyle and also a financial support system and also, and a career support 
you know, just surrounding yourself with all these things to facilitate the ability to get out there and do this stuff. I think we're 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 starting to understand that even more because I'll tell you what, just being out there for a full day yesterday was a very I mean, it was like it doesn't get any better than that. Um, and especially getting out with someone who really enjoys it and is of the same mind. Like there's, there's not, in my opinion, for me, there's nothing better than that. Um, and those are the types of moments where you get to have some of that thought while you're out doing that type of shit, um, that you don't get to have in your day to day and people need to make more time for that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, for anybody that's listening to this, if, if somebody's showing you this or sent you this or is trying to get you into hunting or going outside or anything, just go get outside, give it a shot, go for a hike, go for a walk. Um, you don't have to hunt or do any of the crazy stuff that we do. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just get outside. For you know? sure. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that real quick, I just, like I said, I tested out some more origin kit yesterday. If you guys are interested, origin makes a, a piece of clothing called the field explorer lineup. Now it's their hunt clothing. Um, it has grown so much from last fall. Did a whole review on it. If you're interested, it's all made in America. 100% zero compromise made in the USA. If you're interested in checking out Origins products, go to originusa.com. And I have a discount code for you because I am a brand ambassador. I believe in the mission. I believe in the product. It's good shit. It won't let you down. And it's always getting better. Uh, discount code is Mueller. My last name, Mueller, M U E L L E R one zero one. And that's all capital letters that'll get you 10% off your order. And I'm telling you, having the full system is going to be a game changer. I'm pretty excited about that. So if you're interested in that for any, for your turkey hunting, for your bear hunting, for your, whatever you're doing, it's going to be a game changer. So go check out Origin USA. They also have a bunch of other crap. You can check that out too. All made in America. Qualities unmatched. And the mission is also unmatched. So go check them out. Don't wait. Do it today. Tristan, do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap up today? By the way, the code is legit. I've used it. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. <laughs> it's real. That's all I have to add. Um, uh, the other additions is... Um, even though it's Monday, it doesn't mean you guys can't have a good day. So you guys have a wonderful afternoon. Absolutely. That's what I like to hear. Thank you guys for being a part of this episode of the HuntCast. If you want to hear more HuntCast, let us know. It's coming regardless, but we like to hear it anyway. So until next time, we hope you enjoy your day, your week, and you discover your warrior within. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.